is we're in a series right now called uh, Crazy, and uh, this is the final message in this whole series. We're going to kick off a brand new series next weekend, and we're looking at how do we handle stress in life. And, and so if you weren't here for any of the, the weeks, we looked in week one about how to handle priorities and our schedules and how do we find what matters most. And then last week, we talked about what you said was the number one stress that was in your life, which was finances. And so we talked about money and Man, why are we stressed out when it comes to money? And, and so if you didn't get to watch any of those, you can go on our podcast and watch them or listen to them. And then today we're going to talk about something that I think for all of us, at some point in your life, if you're not feeling it right now, you're going to feel it, and that is stress at work. And so today, the title of today's message is called My Crazy Job. How many of you, just by a show of hands, have had some stress at work before? Okay, all right, good. Well, according to a survey I want to show you, that, that you're going to, we all have faced it in some regards, and here's the deal. You're going to spend 40 hours a week, if not maybe more or maybe a little bit less, probably at some form of a job, you're going to spend the next 40 to 50 years working, which when you start multiplying all that up, that's 80 to 100,000 hours you're going to spend at a job. And, and so what my role is as your pastor is not to just help you in the one hour or an hour and a half or however long that you're here on Sundays, I believe what happens on Sunday should impact the way we live on Monday. Can I get an amen from somebody in here? And so I met, I met with a guy uh, this past week that was telling me, he's an influential leader here in Jennings, and he sat down, he said, you know, Pastor Josh, he said, I just got to be honest. He says, I don't really go to church. I said, really? He said, yeah, you know, I grew up Catholic, I went to church my whole life. Um, and then when I got into high school, he's like, I, I didn't see how any of it really applied to me, so I just stopped going and haven't gone in a, in a long time. And, uh, and I said, well, you need to come to our Savior's Church um, because what we preach, hopefully, is going to help you on Monday. And that's my, that's my whole goal. If, if what happens today doesn't transform how you live out tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, then uh, let's just shut the doors and let's go fishing or something. Um, but I believe, come on, somebody, anybody for fishing? All right. Or hunting right now. Everybody's hunting. Okay, it's hunting season. So um, let's go do something else. But I, I believe God's got a word for you. I believe God wants to speak to us. I believe that work matters to God, and I believe God matters to your work. And so he's got a lot to say about it, and we're going to dive into scripture today about it. And in the, the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it should be in your notes. You got some notes when you walked in? Everybody wave some notes at me. Come on, get a little, yeah, get a little Pentecostal right there. Okay, so... Ecclesiastes said it this way. This is a guy by the name of King Solomon, who was one of the wisest men in the world. He said this. This is what he said about his work. I hated life. <laughs> Have you ever been there with your job? <laughs> I just hate life. Um, I hated life because of the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. I just, man, I just hated this work that I had to do. All of it was meaningless. I felt like I was just literally chasing after the wind. And so how do we handle this? Well, here's some statistics that I want to I show you. So 80% of workers feel stress on the job. And according to most of you, most of y'all have felt stress in some regards. But watch this. Watch. 25% have felt like screaming because of job stress. How many of you felt that way? Like you just want to let out a good scream. Okay, watch this. Tell, tell me if you felt this way. 10% are, are concerned about an individual at work they fear could become violent. Now watch, it gets better. 14% like they were the ones that were going to be violent. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest in here. Don't lie in church. How many of you felt like you're going to hit somebody? You're going to throat punch that coworker in the... Okay. Yeah, we've been there. Okay. We've been there. 
It's funny, after the 9.30, one of, my, one of my secretaries in the office, she was like, I didn't know if I should raise my hand about stress at work. I was like, no, you did not. <laughs> so we all, we all have experienced stress. Can, can I tell you what I think what is one of the most stressful jobs in the world? I think this job is more stressful than the president's job. I think this is more stressful than uh, a cardiac surgeon. This is what I think is the most stressful job. Stay-at-home moms. Stay-at-home moms. Um, I think, I, according to a 2014 survey, if they were to be paid, uh, they should make 118905 Come on, any stay-at-home moms say, bring it on, let's go. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm in the right house. Okay. So, and I'll tell you what I think even more stressful is those who have to be moms and have to have a job at the same time. That's just as much as stressful as anything else. And, uh, and you'll see all the different jobs that they have. This says on average, a stay-at-home mom juggles 96.5 hours of work each week. And so in preparing for this message, I, uh, I mean, we're talking about jobs and my crazy job, but I, I want to just quickly tell, tell, tell you who I'm talking to here. So I'm not speaking specifically just to those who have a job, which most of us in here probably do. I'm also, I'm speaking to anybody that's just got a, a normal nine to five. So maybe you're a, a junior high or a high school or a college student, and that's currently your nine to five. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and that's your nine to five. Or maybe you do have a job, and that's your nine to five. I, I, I don't know whatever your nine to five is, but this is what we're speaking about. Whatever it is that consumes the majority of your week, what does God have to say about that? So before we dive into some principles that the Bible has to say about how to handle stress at work, I want to lay down a theology of work. Now, a theology is, is just a fancy word for the study of God, and, and that God has some foundations for work. We have to understand where work came from and why we work in the first place, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. And so um, if you got some notes, I want you to write this first thing down, and that is that God works. God works. In the very, very beginning of the Bible, in the very beginning of all of creation, in the very beginning of everything that ever happened, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning, God what? God created. Hey, ready? In the beginning, God went to work. He went to work. What did he do? Well, he made the earth, he made the heavens, he made the stars, he made the planets, he made the animals, he made the, I mean, he went to work. God went to work. To work In the beginning, God worked. And the Bible says that after every day of work, at the end of the day, he said, this is good. It is good. It is good. Day three, it is good. Day four, it is good. Day five, it is good. And the end of day six, after he made his greatest creation, which was man and woman, he said, it is very good. It is very good. And so we serve a God who works and God didn't just work before creation and at creation. How I many know God is working today? He's at work right now. Hey, do you know that every time you're praying, you put God to work? Like, y'all understand that, right? God, help this situation. God, help my crazy husband. Give him hemorrhoids. You know, I'm saying, <laughs> y'all never prayed that. I know y'all never prayed that before. Now the husbands are like, that's why? Okay, so... So listen, God's got to go to work. Every time you're praying, like, God, I need a job. God's got to go to work. God, I need a man. God's got to go to work. Every time, God, I need a healing. God's got to go to work. And we serve a God who works. He works. 
Romans 8 tells us this way. And we know that in all things God works. Come on, remember, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So we serve a working God. He is at work. He's working right now. How many know when you're waiting, God's working? When you're sleeping, God's working. When you're not doing anything, God is working. God's always working. He's always been working. And God loves to work because it's not what God does. It's who God is. He's a working God. Now, because you and I were created in the image of God, Guess what? Here we go. God works. Ready for number two? We work. We work. So Genesis chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth. God goes to work. He's working. He's working. He's working. He's working. He's working. Okay. Sounds like a Rihanna song. Okay. Work, work, work. Okay. So here we go. Come on, somebody. I know y'all don't listen to that. This is the, this is, this is the good crowd. Okay. So God works. Genesis chapter 2, next chapter over. Ready? God creates the man. It says the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to, to work it and to, and to keep it. Okay? So God not only says, okay, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, but now you're going to work. And guess what? This is why it's so important you understand this. This is Genesis chapter 2. There is no sin yet. That happens in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3 is when the curse comes. This is Genesis chapter 2. This is like the naked and unashamed people. This is like the everything's good. This is the chilling and hanging out with Jesus, walking with God, hanging out with lions. Like everything's fine. Everything's amazing. And God puts Adam to work. Now, most of us, we think, man, I hate work. Well, you hate work. Because now work is cursed. Because now we're, we're post-work. But I just want you to hear me. Work was not man's idea. Work was God's idea. Work was God's idea. Hey, can I just blow your mind for a moment here, just for a minute? I think when we all go to heaven, we're going to be working. Like, what do you think you're going to do? Like, bonbons and hanging out with angels and be like, ah. God is going to restore this earth back to its original design, Amen. Which, is, which is the Garden of Eden. Guess what Adam was doing in the garden? Working. But it won't be like, the, oh, I've got to go to work. It's going to be like, yes, I get to work. Because here's, here's Adam worshiped God not just by walking with God. He worshiped God by also working with God. And you and I are not only going to be walking with God, we're going to, I think we're going to be working with God. Because God loves to create. He's a creator. That's why Christians should be the most creative people. Because we serve a creative God. He's creatively figuring out ways to work things out. This is the God that we serve. And because God works, we work. This is how it goes. Now let me give you some thoughts on this now. Because God works, we work. Everybody help me with that. God works. We work. God works. We work. we work. Okay. So let me give you some biblical principles that we see all throughout Scripture on how God has called us to work. Now, why is work so stressful now? Well, because there's a curse to it. That God actually told Adam, now you're going to go try to plow, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be toilsome. Now a woman's going to have a baby, and it's going to be painful. Thank you, Eve. Appreciate that one. 
Now, what you put your hands to is gonna, it's gonna have a little, you're gonna have to give a little bit more effort. And so there is some things that are, that are difficult now because of that, but yet God has still called us to work. So let me give you some five, five principles. All right, if you, you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, number one, here we go. Number one is work for God, not people. Work for God, not people. All right, so Colossians chapter three, verse 23 through 24, is Paul encouraging the Colossae churches in their work ethic. And watch what he says, and I love the message translation, and if I can help you out here, if you ever feel like you're like stuck in the Bible, like, oh man, I'm not really getting anything out of it, can I encourage you just to read different translations? All right, if you're stuck in one that you don't understand, I have people ask me all the time, Pastor Josh, what's the right translation? The one you understand. The one you'll read. <laughs> so, so I love reading in different ones. I'm, I'm currently reading in the Passion Translation right now for my own personal studies. But the Message Translation is a, is, it will help you get kind of a, an understanding, uh, a bigger understanding of, of this scripture. And it says this, and don't just do the what? The minimum. Okay, so this is talking to us as employees and as people who have jobs and as people who have responsibilities. Don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your do your best. Underline that. Circle that. Highlight that one. Do your best. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you're going to get paid. So you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. And I know that's all what we're concerned about, man. I just want to get paid. I want to get paid. You're going to get paid. But this verse tells us that God's also going to pay you. You're going to get paid in full when you come into your full inheritance. Now watch, watch the next verse. This is where he's going to go get up all up in our grill. Because he's going to say, hey, make sure you keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is? So you're not serving your boss, even though you have a boss or your manager or whoever that is. Like, no, 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 you're, you're actually, you're working for Christ. Now watch where he goes. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. <laughs> this is what he says, that, that who you work for is more important than what you do. That, that we, as Christians, have a higher boss than our boss. Jesus is your boss. He is your boss. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Because when Jesus is not your boss and people are your boss. Now, do we have real, you know, don't go to work and be like, you ain't my boss. Jesus is my boss. Don't do that, okay? You'll get fired. Okay, all right. So please don't do that, okay? And y'all be like, Pastor Josh told me this. And they'd be like, you can go tell your pastor. Okay, so it'd be it's just a real, make a real awkward conversation. You do have a boss, but you have an ultimate boss that's greater than even that boss, and his name is Jesus, so Jesus is my boss. And so what Jesus being my boss means is it helps me in two extremes. So let me help you in this. This is not in your notes. This is Lanyap, okay? So you're getting, some, it's getting a little extra here. So when Jesus is not your boss, you can have a tendency to do two things. Now, we are, we are worshipers. That's what we are. The Bible has, has wired us to worship. Now, of course, it's designed to worship God, but oftentimes we can put things in God's place. That's called an idol. I-D-O-L. Write that, right, just write that word down. Idol. 
idol, okay? So there's one, one side of this is we make work our idol. Now, what is an idol, okay? The Bible tells us in the Old Testament not to have any other idols before God, that we shouldn't worship any other idols. Now, I know here in this house, uh, this, this house probably most of y'all do not have like idols in your home. I'm, I'm, I doubt you're on your way out and be like, oh, no, no, you know, and then like I doubt that you do that. Now, if you do, you can come up for prayer after, but <laughs> most of us don't have those kind of idols, but what we do have is work is an idol. What is an idol? An idol is anything that is a good thing that we make a God thing. That's an idol. So we can make our jobs our idols. They're good things, but we can make them God things. We can make money our idol. It's a good thing, but we can make it a God thing. We can make our relationships our idols. They're good things, but we can make them God things. We can make our stuff our idols. We're all worshipers. You're going to worship something. The question is, what are you worshiping? Well, you go, well, Pastor Josh, how do I know if, if work is an idol? Ready? Here's how you know. Does it prevent you from being in church? Because I hear people go, hey, it's just busy. It's just a busy season. It's just a lot of work. Now, I understand there's seasons where shift work and all that stuff, but it's amazing how does it distract you from your relationship with God? And I, I don't even have time to read my Bible because I'm, so, I'm just so consumed with my with my job and everything. I don't have time to spend time with God. Does, does, it, does it pull away from your family? Do you hear things from your wife say things like, I never see you anymore? Is it what you think about when you wake up? Is it what you think about when you go to bed? Is it what is consuming your entire mind? Whatever that is, wherever your heart is, wherever your affections are, wherever your passions is, wherever your energy is, and wherever your money is, that is your idol. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of us, and I've been there myself, and here's the crazy part. Even as a pastor, I've put a pastoral ministry as an idol even over my relationship with God. And i got to help people. i got to do something. You can take, listen, good things, but you make them God things. So that's one side. So when Jesus is not my master and my boss is my master, I can, I can make my job an idol. We're consumed with what it does for us and the, the, maybe the, the money that it gives us or the status that it gives us or the power that it gives us or the influence that it gives us. But the other extreme is we go to this other extreme and we go from an idol, I-D-O-L, to idol, I-D-L-E. Let me give it another version, L-A-Z-Y. Everybody, everybody tracking with me? So you go from doing everything and working all the time to, that's not my job. I don't do that. I don't get paid for that. That's not me. So you show up late. You do as little as possible, but want to get as paid as much as possible. When you hear people say this, like, hey, are you working hard or? Oh yeah, y'all know that one? Is this not true? So we go to another extreme, and instead of worshiping our job, we come over here and we demonize our job, and we're not the best employees. It's the verse of we do shoddy work. We do as minimal as possible. We don't give our best. We give our best to other areas. We do as little 
and as minimal as possible. And so what ends up happening is when, when God is my boss, hey, watch this. When God is my boss, I don't have to worship my work because all of my affirmation and everything I need comes from God. But when God is my boss, I also give my best. I don't give my least, I give my best because he deserves my best because he is my boss. Y'all see how this plays out? Listen, I knew this wouldn't be an amen message, I understand, because I'm all up in your business. Because this is what God is calling us to do. And so no matter if you stock shelves or no matter if you mop floors or no matter if you're a busboy or no matter if you're in the oil field or no matter if you're a doctor or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or a student in school, you're going to give your best and do your best because God deserves your best and that's what we do as Christians. Because Christian employees should be the best employees. The sad thing is, most church people are the worst employees. Most bosses don't want to hire church people. Because they, they, they're like, they feel like they're entitled. And the sad thing is when we go to work and we talk about church and we talk about Jesus, but we don't work like Jesus. And so we go, man, it was a great weekend, man. I just love God. But then you're late and you talk about your coworkers and you're frustrated and you're complaining all the time. Come on, how many know that is not a witness for Jesus whatsoever? And so I, I, I want to challenge our church to, to say this. Listen, let's not just talk about Jesus. Let's work like Jesus. Let's be a people who are the hardest workers, the best workers, that's what we do. Why? Not because I have a good boss. Your boss could be a punk, but you don't work for him. You work for J-E-S-U-S. And this, this applies to all of us, whether we're students or whether we're adults or whatever purpose of life that we're in. This is the first thing. And honestly, if you don't understand this first one, the other four don't matter because it has to start right here. So I don't fudge reports. And I don't act like I was here longer than I actually was. And I don't take things. And I don't talk about my boss or my other people. Because Jesus is my boss. He's my boss. Which leads to number two, which is to discover your real purpose and to make a difference. Now, the world's way, when, it, when you talk about uh, approaching a job, let me, let me show you how we are. When, when we think about what kind of job we want to get, usually the first question that we ask is, well, how much does it pay? How much does it pay? Hey, by the way, it's not a bad question. You should ask that question. I just don't know if it's the first question we should ask. Because I know a lot of people who make really, really, really good money but hate their job. Hate it. Because the first question they were asking was how much did it pay and they didn't ask the rest of the questions and so therefore they got into a job that they absolutely despise now and they're 40 years into a job they absolutely hate. And I don't know about y'all, life is too short for me to live 40 hours a week of hate. So the questions that the world will ask is how much does it pay, can I do the job, will I like the job, and then usually the last question is does this job actually add value to others, value to my life. But as followers of Christ and doing it God's way, I think God's way is a little bit different. I think the first question we actually ask is, does this job actually add value to others and does it add value to me? And then I think we need to ask, we need to ask all these questions. I just think it's in the order that we're asking them. Will I actually like this job? Can I actually do this job? And then, of course, we need to ask the question of how much does this job pay? We do have bills and 
we, we need to take care of our family, and that, that is a very, 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 very important question to ask. I just don't think it's the first question to ask, because what ends up happening is, is we ask the compensation question first, and then we take on a job, and we get enslaved to a job that we don't like. And then we spend the rest of our lives with this question, I wonder what if... But now we can't switch jobs because now we've increased our, re- our, our standard of living to a certain place, so I gotta make this much money, so I can't go actually pursue the things that I actually want to because now I got this many bills and I can't go anywhere and we're stuck. Am I preaching anybody in here? So let me, let me help you here with something. There's three things that you need, to, you need to understand in your life. Number one is passion. Passion is what I like to do. Number two is talent. Talent is what I can do. And then number three is purpose. Purpose is what I'm supposed to do. The best is when you can get all three of those. You're working a job that you like to do, doing a job you can do with the purpose that God has put inside of you. Now, I understand that there are times and seasons where you've got to do jobs that maybe you don't particularly like, and there's, there's that, but... I'm going to tell you, and this is specifically, man, if you're a senior in high school or you're in college students, you need to be listening to me big time right now. Because you can go get a job. That's easy. But you're not going to really feel really satisfied unless you're doing something that you know you're supposed to be doing. So doing something that's making a difference, doing something that's helping, doing something that is contributing, doing something that you love, doing something that you can, and doing something that you're supposed to. Watch what Acts chapter 20 says. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I don't know that, I I do know that it won't be any picnic. For the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonments ahead. It's not going to be easy. But watch this. But that matters little. Is it going to be hard? Yeah. Is this job going to be hard? Absolutely. It's going to be hard, but that really doesn't matter. Let me tell you what matters. Watch, watch the next verse. What matters most, though, this is what matters to me the most, is to finish what God started the what? The job. The job that the master, Jesus, gave me of letting everyone I know Meet, uh, everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. So here, let me help you. Ready? A career is something you live on. A calling is something you live for. A career is something you live on. A calling is something that you live for. And one of the things that I want to help as as your pastor is to help you really begin to discover what is the calling that God has on your life. The best is when those two things can, can merge together. And that leads actually to number three, which is to realize that my vocation is my ministry location. My vocation is my ministry location. Now, everybody in here, you, you probably know this, you just, it, we just kind of forget this, that y'all know that David, before he became king, was a shepherd. Joseph, before he became CEO of Egypt, was a shepherd. The 12 disciples that Jesus called into ministry with him, y'all know they had like jobs, right? Fishermen, tax collectors, one was a doctor. Y- y'all know the, the master that we serve, the savior of it all, y'all know what he did, right? He was, a, he was a carpenter, exactly right. He was a carpenter. He had a job. 
All of these people, all, all these men, mighty men and women of God that you read all throughout Scripture, God used them in their vocation. God used them as shepherds. God used them as tax collectors. God used them in their things. Now, he called them to other things as well, but he used them in those things. And watch what Apostle Paul said this. Watch what he said in Acts chapter 18. After Athens, Paul went to Corinth. That is where he discovered Aquila and a Jew, a Jew born in Pontus and his wife Priscilla. They had just arrived from Italy, part of the general expulsion of Jews from Rome and ordered by Claudius. Watch this next verse. Paul moved in with them and they worked together at their common trade of? The Apostle Paul, the planner of churches, who wrote so many of the, the, the New Testament. He had a job. He was a tent maker. But every Sabbath, he was also at the meeting place doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. So yeah, he had a job making tents, but he also had a calling. God had called him to. That was greater than even tent making. I think he did tent making to pay the bills. I think he spread the gospel because that was his call. And he was able to do actually both of those. Paul saw that every place that he went was an opportunity to do what he was called to do, which, is, which was to be a sharer of Christ in other people's lives. Now, most of us, when we think about sharing Jesus with people in our workforces, we can kind of get all weird about that. Like, what does actually that mean? There was a, a story of an article that I read of an American Airlines pilot. He was flying a, a whole group of people to Guatemala. Halfway, 38,000, 39,000 feet in the air, halfway to Guatemala, he gets over the intercom. He says, excuse me, this is your captain talking. I'm a born-again Christian, and I would like to know who on this plane is also a born-again Christian. If you are, would you please raise your hand? So they had a number of people, you know, raise their hand in the plane. He says, for all of those who do not have their hands raised, I want you to look around. If this plane was to go down, do you know if you're going to go to heaven? If not, talk to these people with their hands raised. He got fired. He got fired. Great heart, wrong way. I'm not telling you to go to work tomorrow and be like, are you born again? I'm not telling you to do that. I think, I think more than just talking about Jesus, I think we need to work like him and live like him. So when Jesus would show up, I want you to imagine if Jesus showed up on your job, what would he do? So I just started writing down a number of things. Yet again, I just want to make this as practical as possible. What are some things that maybe you could do to bring Christ into your workplace? So these are non-weird ways. Because <laughs> I just need to help some people because they get real weird. What if this week you brought donuts to work and just tried to be a blessing? Because we all know donuts and blessings, they go to hand in hand. Okay, so what if this week you got to work early so you could spend some time praying for your coworkers and for the rest of your day? What if this week, instead of eating lunch alone, you intentionally invited a coworker that you do not know to lunch and you learned their story and paid for their meal? What if this week, when your coworkers asked about what you did this weekend, instead of just talking about the LSU and Saints game, you also talked about what Jesus did in your life at church? Amen. What if this week we make every effort to avoid gossip in the office? What if this week we were a voice of thanksgiving and not of complaining, a voice of encouraging and not criticizing? 
What, what if this week we offered to pray on the spot for someone who tells you that they're going through a difficult time? What if this week we were to visit a coworker who we found out was in the hospital? What if this week we find others that live near us and we created a carpool to drive to work together and then we blared our pastor's sermon the whole ride all the way there? I'm just trying to help you all, okay? You don't have to preach. I'll preach for you. You know how easy it is to be a Christian at work? Let me, let me tell you. Just find a need and meet it. There's needs all around us. Just find it and meet it. You hear someone talk about a struggle, and man, if you have a way to help, help. Out of the 40 miracles that happen in the book of Acts, 39 of them happen outside of the church. I think there's more miracles that should be happening in our city than should ever be happening inside of this building. Because you, filled with the Spirit of God, can walk into those places, and as soon as you walk up into that office or into that school or into that neighborhood or into that whatever it is that you go, God, you have anointed me for this place. And maybe the only way that they'll ever meet Jesus is through me. And so y'all remember the, um, the song growing up, this little light of mine. Oh, y'all do. This little light of mine. Yeah, there we go. This little light of mine. Let it, let it, let it. All right, all together now. No. We should start a choir. Watch with this. Watch this. Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. You. You. You're a city that's set on a hill. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole office. It gives light to the whole job site. Gives light to the whole home. I showed up. Here comes the light. And watch what the next verse says. And in the same way, let your light shine before your boss and before your coworkers and before your spouse and before your kids and before all the people that are talking about you behind your back. And before all the people that don't want you there, and before all the people that are complaining about you, before all those people, let your light shine. Shine on so that they will see your good work. Like they'll see that you're a good worker. Notice it didn't say so they'll see your good talk says, no, no, they're going to see your good works, and, they're, and because you work so well, they're going to give Jesus praise for it. Amen. Like, God's going to get the glory for this. So how do we do this? Say, Pastor Josh, you're asking a lot of us. I know. God is. But here's how. 
And I decided to save this for the end because I think us just talking about doing these things is one thing, but man, how do we do this is a whole nother thing. And I love the way that Apostle Paul writes because before he ever tells you to do something, he always starts it off with how you're going to do it. So uh, Colossians, I keep saying Genesis, Colossians chapter 3 23 and 24 tells you that you need to work hard. You need to do your best. You don't do shoddy work. Do your best work. Serve as unto the Lord. That's verse 23 and 24. But we need to, we need to rewind to verse 1. Because one, verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 12 and verse 13 tell us how we're actually supposed to do this. So let me give you number four. You want to have stress relief? Get your heart and your mind right before you go to work. Get your heart and your mind right before you go to work. Colossians chapter three, verse one and two. Watch this now. It says, so then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Here we go. Everybody help me with this. Set your, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Here we go. Verse two. Set your mind on things above, not on. Did y'all catch that? Ready? Watch. If you wake up tomorrow morning depressed, stressed out about your bills, stressed out about your job, worried about everything, consumed with everything that's going on, critical of the day, critical of what's happening, complaining, hey, listen to me, you're going to have a bad day. I guarantee it. <laughs> Some truth up in this church. The number one thing, I want you to hear me. Don't tune out of this. The number one thing that will make your stress level go down is if you start your day setting your heart and your mind on above, not on earth. If you wake up tomorrow morning, first thing rolling out of bed, and whether that's you hitting your knees or you just getting a little bit of a loan before, and you go, God, I need you today. God, I need you today. And I love this because it says, set your hearts, set your mind. Meaning like, you've got to set it. Hey, which by the way, when you set it in the morning, you'll still have to set it later on in the day too. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I hope it lasts to lunch, but it might not. You might need to be setting it on the hour, every hour, depending on what your job's like. Definitely stay-at-home moms. <laughs> You're going to have to set it. You're going to have to set it. And I'm going to tell you right now, this world will do everything it can to set it for you. And I'm going to tell you, if we can learn to set it, set my attitude, set my heart, set my mind, set my passion, set my perspective, I'm going to go ahead and just set it. So how do we do that? Ready? Here we go. Number five, we're done. Clothe yourself with love. All right, here we go. Colossians verse 12, and we're finished. Y'all give me a little background music. That'll help. All right. It'll let me know we got to go. All right, here we go. Since God, watch this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, here we go. Stay with me. You must clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Some of y'all telling y'all's kids that this morning. <laughs> Clothe yourself. All right. Now watch. This is what it says, okay? So here we go. Ready? Tomorrow morning, 
you're going to get dressed. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. I don't know what kind of day it is on a Monday for you, but you're going to hopefully get dressed physically. This is what God's telling us. Ready? Just as much as you wake up tomorrow morning and get dressed physically, also get dressed emotionally. Also get dressed spiritually. And here's what you're going to clothe yourself with. Tender-hearted mercies. And you're going to clothe yourself with... Somebody, two of y'all could say it. Everybody's like, I ain't saying that word. Okay. Everybody say this. Clothe yourself with? Kindness. And? And? But and? Oh, why that one have to be in there? And, and if that's not enough, you're going to also make allowances for each other's. Hey, can I give you the uh, Pastor Josh translation of this? Just go ahead and make allowances for stupid people. Like, people are going to do stupid things today. They're going to say stupid stuff. They're going to do stuff that's going to hurt you. They're going to do stuff that's mean. Hey, just go ahead in advance, make an allowance for it. Like, I'm, I was already ready for you to be stupid. I was already ready for it. I'm ready. The problem is like we go into our work and we put an expectation on them that they can't fulfill, then we get frustrated. Like what if you went into the work already knowing, hey, listen, these are sinful people. They're gonna do sinful things. Hey, oh, and by the way, so am I. So, so watch, he gonna take it up another level. If this isn't hard enough, he gonna say, okay. And also, I mean, why you gotta put that up in there? And forgive who? Oh my God. Forgive anyone who offends you. Well, God, what if that's everyone? <laughs> it's going to be a long day. So, okay, God, so you're saying that I've got to make an allowance for stupidity and then I've got to forgive them. Yep. Well, God, how in the world do I do that? Okay. Just, just remember. Remember, the, remember when you were stupid. <laughs> like, hey, just remember how like, you came to church. And you're like, God, please forgive me. God, oh, God, what I did this weekend. God, what I said. Just, hey, the, what I gave you, just give that to other people. Oh, God, I, I don't know, man. He's just a jerk. I got to... I got a jerk that's a clerk. You know, it's just, what do I do? He says, you know what? You've been a jerk too. You've been a jerk too. You've been rude. What I did to you, just go forgive others too. Hey, and you know what? On top of all that, above everything else, just clothe yourself with love. Like, you're going to get dressed. It's going to happen. And, and, and more than anything, the greatest thing that you can put on, of course, you, you need to put on kindness and you put it on patience and you need, to, you need to put on all this stuff. But I just want you to know that tomorrow when you get dressed and you start putting on your clothes, the greatest thing you can put on 
is love. It's love. And, and why can I put on love? Ready? Here we go. Because I've already received it. Everything that you need, you already have. Like, oh, how do I be patient? Well, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, wait, kindness. Oh, wait, gentleness. Oh, wait, self-control. Wait, are you telling me that everything that I need more of, I already have? Yes. Ready? Here's all you got to do. Just put it on. Just put it on. So you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to set your heart and your mind right. And you're going to go, with God, thank you for the gift today that you have given me in breath in my lungs. God, thank you today that I have a job. Thank you today, God, that even in the midst of all of the craziness and how I'm going to pay bills and how am I going to do this and how is this going to work out. God, just thank you, Lord, that you're, you love me. God, thank you that you're my provider. God, thank you that I just trust you more than anybody else. And God, today you're my boss. And so today, God, I put on love. And I'm going to love people because you love me. And so ready? Here we go. You cannot control what people say about you. You cannot control what people think about you. You can't even control what even people do to you. But you do have 100% control of how you respond to all of that. So just because the people around you are jerks doesn't give you license to be one. Because here's the deal, and we're done. You might want to write this one down. Your spiritual maturity is revealed by how you treat those who mistreat you. You want to know how spiritually mature you are? <laughs> Here's how you know. How do you respond when people mistreat you? This is how you know. Jesus would say as he was crucified on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus knows what it's like to be hated. Jesus knows what it's like to be condemned. Jesus knows what it's like to be criticized. Jesus knows what it's like to be forsaken. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. Jesus knows what it's like to have all the things that he's done be overlooked and only, and this man was perfect, and they crucified him. And so today, the greatest way that you can deal with stress in your life, I believe, is to wake up and set your heart, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth, and to clothe myself with love. And I believe if we begin to do that and work as unto the Lord, and find our purposes and use our purposes and realize that every place that I go, that my vocation is a ministry location, man, what would it be like if we allowed our work to be our worship? May that be said of every person that calls OSC home, that those are the hardest, best workers there are. Because they love God. 
and they love people. And even if I'm doing a job that I hate, I'm gonna do it as unto the Lord because he deserves my best. Father, today in this moment, God, we need you. We need you. God, we thank you, Lord, for every gift that you have given us from the relationships that we have to the job that we have. God, to the resources that you've given us, all of it is yours. But God, we don't want to be idle. But God, we don't want our work to become an idol. You are our king. You are our boss. And we want to work as unto you. So God, in this moment right here, we repent and we turn from being critical, from being complaining, for murmuring, for grumbling, for not giving our best, for not honoring you. God, we repent of those things. And God, we thank you for your forgiveness. And God, you forgive us. So God, help us to clothe ourselves with love. Help us, God, to clothe ourselves with humility and patience and kindness and gentleness. God, more than anything, God, help us. Help us, help us to walk this thing that you've called. And God, I pray, Lord, for every person that's in this room. If you're here in this room and you don't have a relationship with God, now notice I didn't say that you haven't gone to church or you haven't done something for God. I'm talking about a genuine relationship with God. The Bible would call this being born again. That we are made new from the inside out. That sin has separated us from God. If you're here in this room and you know, man, I've been the Lord of my own life. I've done my own thing. I have not submitted my life to him. I, the greatest thing I can pray for you is to pray with you for you to surrender your life fully and devoted to him. It's as simple as ABC. We admit that we're sinners. That we believe that Jesus, he died a death on the cross that he should not have died, but he did because he loved us enough that he, he paid for all of our sin. He was our substitute. And if we will confess him as Lord and Savior of our life, we will repent of our sin and turn to him. The Bible says that he will make us new from the inside out. If you're here in this place and you have never prayed that before, I want to pray with you today. Say, Pastor Josh, would you pray for me? On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hands up. One, two, three. If that's you going up all across this room. Anybody here? God, awesome. Great. Great. I want to pray for us today as we, as we close out this series and we close out this service. Father, today we love you. God, I just thank you. I thank you for every person that's here in this room. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're challenging us, but you're also empowering us to walk in the call of God for our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with your people. God, help us today to do all that you've called us to do, that we would glorify you in everything. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on.